sometimes I talk about the fact that you are a unique combination of things. And I think that MC Lars is an exceptional example of that. He is the friendliest person I've ever met. He is the most outgoing person I've ever met. And he also is so deeply into literature and intellectual discourse and hip hop and punk rock and ska. I think you're going to love listening to him talk about his experience with the record industry over the last 20 years of his incredible career. And I think you're going to get a ton out of it, regardless of what you make. So let us get into it now. Welcome to Fan Funded with Laser. I am Laser. The goal of this podcast is to help you build an audience full of true fans who are excited to support your music and art. And my guest today is MC Lars. Literature, hip hop, punk rock, all the things, the internet, the the books, everything in between. He's the best and the greatest person and has great morals, as he will <laughs> tell you <laughs> about others. Let's get right into it. Hi, Lars. How you doing? Hi, Laser. Thank you for asking me to do this. You're one of the most knowledgeable people I know about this topic, so it's to talk to you about it in a public forum. What a privilege. Oh, gosh, please. <laughs> uh, I've been on your podcast. It was a delight. We've been on tour together, and I feel just lucky to get to know you now, but I want to, I guess, get in a time machine a little bit because you have had just the coolest career and also continue to have the coolest career and continue to grow and make awesome things happen. So I feel like the listener is lucky to hear from you. And so am I. Ha ha. Hey, thank you. <laughs> well, but first of all, I want to start with how do you describe your job? Oh, wow. What a question. I would <laughs> say that I'm an independent content creator who runs his own record label mm -hmm. and does music workshops for young people. That was how I would sum it up. Excellent. And I want to ask you about the workshop. That's one of my questions. But first, I want to start with how did you go from, I guess, your teenage rap self to the powerhouse you are today? A lot of times I ask people, like, was this intentional, like this job? For you, it feels like the most intentional thing ever. Is that true? Like, it just feels like you were born doing this, <laughs> which is weird I because it's not like one of those jobs that they show you in the book. Like, here's a fireman. Here's a lit hop rapper. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. You know, one of the artists that inspired me a lot was Trent Reznor because he was able to do everything. It was amazing to me that he could use the computer to do a lot of things that a band couldn't do. And I remember when I was like 13 or something, I was in my room by myself with like a MIDI keyboard and I was thinking, hey, why don't I try to see what happens? I feel like if I make music that I like and I'm nice to people... Maybe I'll be able to do this. And this would have been the, the mid or the late 90s before, you know, social media and everything. And so I think that it was just something I was like, why not? Let's see what happens. And a series of fortunate things came to my aid. Like I, I did a, a, a term studying in England where an indie label, Truck Records, shout out to them. They were in Oxford. They put out my first album and that was like 2003. And that led mm -hmm. to me meeting people. And that was just me living in England, going around, talking to people, being really friendly, trying to get on shows and being kind of fearless. And yeah, 
that's something that is that I got from your book, which I reread when I did my recent campaign. Is mm-hmm. if you believe in yourself and give people a reason to want to support you, yeah, they're gonna do it. If you're not like a jerk, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Like even from high school, you're writing songs, you're performing, you're giving people a chance to see you do it, right? Yeah, high school. I kind of I would do things like set up a table in the lunchroom and and bring a backpack of shirts and just sell them. Sit there with my <laughs> CDs and pe- and people knew that I made music, but like in the '90s, people I don't know my peers weren't really doing that. And also hip hop was still kind of it hadn't become this very like eclectic, broad, all encompassing genre. It was still kind of a unique. It was kind of different to be rapping then, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and so that gave. I don't know. I think I got a reputation around my school or I do things like go to the mall when they were having movie premieres and try to sell people my shirts who are waiting to see Star Wars, even though they hadn't heard of me. But I'd pitch myself to them. And I remember the mall security like made me stop because they're like, you can't sell your own goods here. (laughs) And I was like, "Okay, well, I learned, but I was not going to I was going to just try anything I could to basically do what I wanted to and make it like a social experiment to see if I could make some money from it, even as like a a young kid. And that's just something that was in my heart. I don't know where that came from, though. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. That's just this like fearlessness in a way and like knowing where you're going. That's just beautiful and like yeah of course these days every kid has this in their head that i mean one of the main jobs that kids want is content creator right or a tiktok star or whatever but yeah in the day and i know you have like a strong respect and knowledge of the history of of hip-hop but you being the person who's immersed in that and no one else really having any idea what you're doing just kind of makes you this unique guy who's ready to go for it i guess that's kind of awesome thank you i'm i feel fortunate and i feel fortunate that you know, the timing of when I started worked in my favor. And maybe you identify with this too. Like when you're first at something, you know, I remember I was using Kickstarter like 10 years ago. When you're early, it's a lot easier. You know what I mean? Yes. But there's always a chance to be early. You know, the world is always changing. So, and also that face-to-face stuff, now that we're back in face-to-face times, being fearless and being friendly, like your ability to be friendly and energetic is... I think a superpower, like the most superpower I've ever seen in my life. Where does that come from, Lars? <laughs> that's when I learned that like you get invited on tours if you have good energy. You know, that's why I, we were lucky to do warp Tour so many times and tour with people like MC Chris and like other bands that just if you can if you can always try to say something positive, then people will want to have you around. And those positive things become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I'm a big fan of bad brains and like minor threat and a lot of the stuff from that the hardcore years is the PMA the positive mental attitude and mm. that's huge with anything in independent music but I also I don't advertise this or really talk about it a lot but I, I'm a spiritual person and I'm also sober and I think that like being able to be my authentic self and everyone's experience is different that is something that helps me feel like I can be friendly because I know that it's coming from a genuine place so if people don't like me it's okay. It's not like I'm like, you know, sometimes you can be in an altered state and, and act a certain way, but people aren't responding to that person. So I I have built confidence. That like if I'm just friendly and positive, that will go well for me. And if someone, if people don't react like I expect them to, that's not my problem. You know, yeah. maybe you relate. Yeah. I mean, being on tour with you is an amazing experience. So yeah, it works. Uh, it's <laughs> Same. 
it, it works uh, the best. Okay, so this kind of ties in with that. Do you have a mission statement or like a general goal that guides the different things you do, like what you want other people to get out of it and what you want you to get out of it? Because you do a lot of different things. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think my main, there's a quote from Jella Biafra that he had in his No More Cocoons record, which was um, his spoken word record. And he said, anyone could have made this record. Now go do your own. And the thing I always tell my students is the way to be happier is to create more and consume less. So what that means is just kind of like resist the things that want to monetize your laziness or monetize your lack of belief in yourself or just make you less of a happy person. Resist those things and follow through in the creative inclinations that make you want to create. And that's always like my mission statement is to make music that makes people want to make their own music. And I think that like something's a little rough or, or not perfect. Mm -hmm. That's good. So yeah. So, so doubling <laughs> yeah. down on being yourself. I think that's my mission statement and, and inspiring people to do the same and not just consume what they're told, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. Another excellent transition. It's like you're reading my notes. Um, <laughs> what are the income streams involved in the MC Lars biz? Ooh, well, there would be like TuneCore and so the streaming revenue. Mm -hmm. I could probably give you rough percentages. That would probably be about 30% of it. And then when we do tour, that's probably <laughs> about 20%. Merch is probably about 15. And then, and then Patreon and like doing like virtual concerts would be the rest. And then teaching. Like I do a thing where I, it's called the Lit Hop Academy and yeah. students, students sign up and I do these workshops with them. And that makes up the rest of the income. And so it's like private mentoring where I take my skills and pass it on. And that, I guess that relates because it's, it's generally people who have discovered me through my music and then they say, oh, Lars does this. Cool. Like maybe I, I can start my career with some tips. So that's, yeah. So that's basically all the revenue sources. That's awesome. So I found out about this because sometimes you bring your students on stage, oh, yeah. um, which is so fun. And it's just like, and you introduce their, you know, their MC name and talk about what they do, which is, it's just delightful. And it definitely has that democratizing aspect of like, this person who was just among the audience is now on stage and also is a creator. And we're all like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. Like we didn't know that. And now we do. How do people find out more about that? Because I just saw you posting about it. Oh, yeah. So you can, you know how like you can buy .com domains. I bought lithop.academy. Uh, <laughs> so heck you yeah. Can, you can buy .academy. So if you go there, it's information on it. And yeah, it's like teaching people about songwriting, production, and marketing. And I think that's that's a good point you made. Like I like bringing up my students on stage when I play their city just to do whatever they want because there shouldn't be a barrier between the stage and... The audience, we're all the same, right? That's one of the central philosophies of punk rock and even hip hop, I feel like. And mm -hmm. that it's fun, to, it's fun to break that down. And, and it's really fun to see students realize they have the ability to, to use these platforms for good and build an audience because there's so much talent out there. And I think you probably feel me on this. Like mm -hmm. it's such a privilege to, to help people recognize that they have it and that they oh, have yeah. the power, you know? Yeah. And, and some people just don't, they're afraid to get in the way sometimes, or they're like, I don't want to, one of the things that made me so happy about you just setting up a table in the lunchroom is like, I have so many of the artists that I work with who are like, well, I don't want to 
post too much on Twitter because people are going to be so annoyed. And it's like, you're giving people an opportunity to experience art. Like, that's amazing. That's like mm. cutting through the noise of just the constant sadness that is the internet yeah. never mind the world and of course people want to hear that not everybody but that's their problem you know that's you can't worry about the haters because then you live in a world full of hate you know? <laughs> yeah yeah they used to, you put that well i agree <laughs> so i know you've you've done many things you've worked with record labels you have done like you said warp tour you've done so many things that i would consider like going through the mainstream gatekeeper situation and then you also have your own label and you do your own teaching what drives the way that you release and make your music now it seems like you have this really punk aesthetic of working directly with your audience and and i i love it i'm just curious what your philosophy is on that yeah yeah no thank you for saying that i i always like working with bigger labels and bigger music companies, it frustrated me the way they would spend money for then for which I would then be responsible that mm -hmm. I might not agree with. And I think that you can't be too scared. Like you have to invest money in your product, but I didn't like how I was kind of not included in a lot of financial decisions or told, oh, you should spend 15 grand on this video because we're going to get it on MTV and then it not happening. Like being like, well, maybe we could have made another EP with that money. Like wanting to have control over my life and so being able to slowly yeah. e extract myself from that i mean you know it's like i'm not really a i'm not like a, a marxist or anything but he talks about he and hegel about the whole thing about the dialectic is that the way the mass capitalism controls people is by monetizing their time and if you can own the means of production then you can monetize other people's time and schedule and so it's like being able to be in charge of my time through how the money is coming in and out was the main thing. Cause I wanted to have control over that because there's cheap ways to do it and there's expensive ways to do it. And I didn't want to always like have a 40 grand debt that I need to recoup per each project. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. if, if folks listening aren't aware the way that record labels usually work is that they will front the money for the album, but you do have to pay that back in the sales basically. Yeah. 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 And so if you're net like 50,000 before your album comes out, you know, these days it's a it's, it's kind of hard to make that back. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the beauty of Kickstarter because you obviate the financial risk with fans who believe in you and then you can mm -hmm. give them a, a strong product. But that's something people learn the hard way. And I was lucky that like, while I met with major labels back in the day when I, there was like some buzz when I started. The deals that were offered, none of them seemed like the kind that made sense. And I'm glad I was never locked into like a three album contract where I would have been shelved and maybe get a hundred grand advance, but that goes fast. And so I'm glad that I had good intuition and none of those deals really felt like the right thing to do at the time because I could have easily put myself in a bad situation. And, and yeah. that's something I try to, yeah, be educated about business, you know? For sure. I mean- yeah. You're you're a very educated guy. It's such a delight to talk to you. Just I mean, you have you know, you have your A's hat and then you're saying things like obviated and it's just like, okay, I'm gonna have to do some research after I talk to you and you never you don't expect that always. And it makes me really happy. Thanks, um, Laser. <laughs> speaking of that, just from a perspective of, you know, the listener, what skills do you have and what skills have you worked on that make you good at what you do? Wow. Okay. That's a good question. Well, one of them is QuickBooks because I used to have an accountant I paid 5% to. Mm. And I was like, oh, I can do this myself. 
And so QuickBooks and taxes and how to run your LLC and all that, like, so the business accounting side, I didn't realize I'd be have to become so meticulous, but that also allows you to write things off that maybe you wouldn't write off otherwise from your taxes. And that's yeah. what's up. Um, but that's good. That's all legal. It's a way to like be in charge of your time. I mean, that and and Premiere and all these programs outside of music production that I didn't realize yeah. would be so helpful. So yeah. I, and I think so having a, a broad skill set and having patience. I learned to be patient. I used to not be very patient, but now mm. I realize, okay, you know, you maybe realize this too, Laser. Like it takes, it may take like four years for a song you know is great to be one that fans are hoping to hear every show and for it to get the plays you think it deserves. Things don't necessarily happen right away. So how do you balance that like issue? Well, you just keep making things and you do, and I learned not to be precious about, oh, this is my song. This is my key. No, cuz it's all one piece of the same like puzzle. Yeah, so patience, QuickBooks yeah. and like <laughs> Premiere and you're good, you know. <laughs> That's all you need. You should write that down. That's the name of your book. I love it. Uh <laughs> So you said you had an accountant and you realized you could do that yourself, but I know you do delegate something. So when did you start delegating? What do you delegate? What does the team of MCLRs look like? Oh, that's a great question. Well, shout out to Mike Russo. He's my my one of my best friends who does our tour management. And even when he can't come on tour, he does the remote tour management. So he makes sure when we get to the venue, we know where we need to go, what we need to do. I have a wonderful uh, manager who's also my agent. Her name's Eva at FADA Booking, and she's really cool because she and her team book shows in the U.S. and internationally, and it's nice because, you know, it's booking shows yourself is kind of how a lot of artists have to get started, but having someone do that for you is worth that 15% or whatever you, you pay them. And I have people who then I hire for specific audio production jobs. So that's pretty much the team, but really at the, at the heart of it, it's it's Eva and then Mike Russo, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it. And and I have an accountant that I do that I do pay to help me with my taxes, but she's not like a music industry accountant, you know, so she's just helps me with the with the legal sides of my business, which is worth it. So I'm so if I miss anything on QuickBooks, she'll be like, "Oh, you know, and Yeah. So that's my business pretty much, yeah. Do you have any tips for I've just started delegating. It's new to me, which is <laughs> wild. I should have done it so long ago. But yeah. communicating with the people, because it's sometimes hard to let go of control of, I mean, music is so personal and, you know, being in control of where you sleep and what you do and where you go and how you communicate with the audience. Like, do you have any t- tips on how to how you communicate with the people that you work with and how you delegate and that kind of stuff? Yes. I mean, I think that's a great question. That's something I work on a lot with Eva is like, like since I've done everything myself for so long, communicating how I need her help and like, like listening to her because she does have good ideas. I think that the thing I had to realize with Eva was the truster. We've been together working for six years and I had I'd had like three or four managers before who were all great for the time I worked with them. But I started to realize Eva was willing to work with me in the long run. And the way she was able to do that was she had her own company. She owns FEDA Booking. So she was able to put the time into me and not worry about letting go of the clients that make less money. And so I guess the lesson there is working with people who are in charge of boutique smaller agencies or publicists or whatever, like that's a lot better than paying a lot of money for the small 
fish at like a big management company or a big publicity company because then you can have the you can relax realizing oh they're working with me because they want to and yes they're going to make their seven grand a year off of my my business and that's worth their time but there's not this panic of like oh gosh I, I I'm going to get let go in a second because there's so much turnover in the music industry you need to find those people it's like a relationship that you know will be around you know yeah. you don't want that's stressful and that makes the communication easier because even knows that I'm honest about my goals and she's honest about she knows how I do things and how I don't like to do things and like yeah so having having trust that that they're there because they want to work with you and they're not going to abandon you because of the cold capitalist uh, new media <laughs> yeah. economics stuff that makes artists dreams die you know yeah <laughs> avoid uh, that it's avoid that avoid the cold capitalist uh, amazing okay how how do your fans find out about you and how do you communicate with them wow that's a that's a golden question i mean i think the main one of the main ways i've seen growth these past few years is spotify because i think it's great at the algorithmic recommendations like to the ska fans the nerd core fans the comedy fans like Spotify is cool. Seeing like people come to shows saying, hey, I got recommended on a playlist. That's so satisfying because it's like, oh, I didn't have to spend money for that. That just happened. YouTube, though, is still helpful. I think people find me on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I I do a show about it's like an insane clown posse history show. And yeah. we, pl we played their gathering of the juggalos. And so we've had some people in that community have just juggalos naturally been curious about the music that I've been doing. So, yeah, I would say YouTube and Spotify. I would say spending a lot of money on a publicist isn't a, necessarily a good way to get fans. But having said that, the album I did with Megaran, we hired a publicist, uh, Sue Marcus at Stunt Company. She did great. She got us some good s stuff that I think helped grow our reach. But I don't think that always works. I think it's just about be and communicating with my fans. I use mainly Twitter and sometimes Facebook and Instagram less, but those are my and Fanbridge, like doing the email list because I know you, yeah. you and Aubrey are great with the email list. So that that's something that is awesome. Email lists are so important. Thank you. I say that every episode, so it, it's helpful for me to get you know back up on that. So thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite things you did on tour was every time you know you you're in the car and you and Schaefer would live stream just like what's up. Here's a Q and A on Facebook Live or whatever. We're coming to the gig. And like that's it was so brilliant because it would remind people you're on the road, remind people where you're gonna play that night. That was really fun. I don't know if there's Thank a question you. there, but you know, why why did you do that? Did you get a lot out of it? Or is that something you always do? That was fun. You know, I hadn't been Shaver had done that with Lex when he and her were opening for MC Chris, like oh, right cool. before that tour. Yeah, because the drives can be boring, but it's a really fun way to make like a six hour drive go quickly mm -hmm. and to have that much like content and have all the questions that was really fun and then i remember you and aubrey did like a, a funny parody of or like a version of it that we were that was so funny yeah we, yeah that was tight it was exhausting we didn't we were like wow that took a lot of energy we can't do that again uh but y'all have you have different strengths i would say different energies than we do which was yeah that's that what so cool. yeah we merge <laughs> we mix well it's crazy to think that tour was the last the last we'd all do for a bit <laughs> Before the world ended. It was great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a question for you. So some of the awesome d stuff you've done involves collaborations with incredible people like the Weedus, the Bowling for Soup, Weird Al. Like these are just some names that you are allowed to drop because these are people you've worked with. So 
what advice would you give a creator who would like to get collaborations like in their under their belt? Yeah, that's a great question. All those people are people who discovered me through channels they already saw legitimacy through, like Bowling mm. for Soup, Jarrett's A&R guy who was a friend of my first manager. Weird Al's m- manager had seen something where I'd given Al a shout out, and so then he got in touch with me. And what else? K- Karis went, well, that was because I was, I was briefly signed to Universal Publishing, so they gave me a list of potential co-writers, so I hit oh, him wow. up. <laughs> but he, he saw me, he knew that I was, that I'd gotten his info through that. So if you can somehow trick the people into like feeling like you're bigger than you are or like <laughs> DMing someone on Twitter, unless you're ready to PayPal them a grand yeah. is, a, is like not the best way to get someone to do a song with you, but it can't hurt to ask. But every people always ask me like if I'll work with them and like, I love doing collabs, but I do try to ask for some money for a studio time or whatever. And so it's like, if an artist finds out about you through someone they respect, then they'll do it for free or because just for the art of it. And so how, what is, so what does that mean? Practically speaking, I think it means you have to put out a lot of stuff that you're really excited about organically build the social media numbers. And if nowadays, if they see that, like, let's say if you wanted to work with Wheatus or something and Wheatus were to see, Oh, this person is followed by all these other artists I like, or, you know, it's just, it's just being organically part of the community is how I think you would approach the person. The other way is you go to a show and you, if you're just charming and friendly, like I've had people who I've worked with for free because they came and talked to me after my set and they were just really cool people. And I was like, all right, the internet can be, you know, the internet can be a, a net, like, so to speak, like a way to get people's attention and work with people, but it also can be like a wall that is different than approaching someone in real life, if that makes yeah, sense. Absolutely. So, I've- yeah. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that. Like people who, like the fans that happen to be the fans that are like, is it okay if I tape your show and put it up online? It's like, those are the people who I, and they're friendly and they're nice. And they, like, I ended up producing one of their records because it's like, well, you're dope. And like, it turns out we're friends. That's dope. And then some people are like, do you want to get dinner before the show? And then we'll be friends. And and then they like walked out halfway through my gig. And I was like, well, no, like wh- what? Like we're not friends anymore. Like I, I don't need you to be my number one fan, but you need to be a fan. Like- you know what? <laughs> Laser, a huge thing. And you maybe have yeah. noticed this, like if a local opener opens for me and doesn't stick around and then wants me to do a track with them, that's a big no. You have yeah. to stick around to the end. Like shout out to Nerdy because he he played our show with us in Minnesota and he's doing a uh, working on something for that. We're, we're collaborating on something, but the fact was he's that nerdy stuck around to the end was awesome, you know. And that's that's mm. love, you know. He tweeted about the show. He was like so, probably the best discovery for me on that tour. Nerdy's amazing. Shout out to nerdy. Everybody check out nerdy, and obviously MC Lars. But you already knew that. <laughs> uh, okay, this is a hard question because I know the answer is not typical, but. Give me an example of how, when you're at home and not on the road, what are the different things you do in a week? What does this job look like to you? <laughs> Raise your family. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, that's good. So, so you mean in terms of like like MC Lars-based stuff specifically, right? That yeah. Like, Patreon, I mean, that takes a lot of time. I'm always, I'm doing two songs a month for that. So always making sure that that feels fun and organic. And I guess, I guess... You know, playing guitar, maybe you relate to me that like 
it's easy mm-hmm. to lose the fun side of just having an instrument and being able to make noise without any thinking about the business side of things. Like mm-hmm. I, I try to play guitar, like just, just play some of my favorite like green day songs or anything. Cause, because that makes me truly happy, you know? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I love y'all's Patreon dedication. It makes me very happy. I do not have the dedication that you and Schaefer and Megaran all have and putting out <laughs> tracks all the time, but I, it's great. I mean, people love it and you do, you make some money. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Patreon is, I like it cause it's a low pressure incubation place where you can mm-hmm. try all sorts of ideas and thank goodness for Patreon. But so what mm-hmm. it, do you, do you, do you use it occasionally or what is your experience with it? Yeah, we have it. We we put out videos, we put out stuff, but it's just like a monthly thing and we don't promise anything in particular to it. Okay. <laughs> basically, it's the answer. But whenever yeah. we do make anything, they get it. You know, it's basically the answer. Whenever we make a track, they get the track. Or if we're putting out a music video, they get the song that goes with the music video. Or if we do a live stream, you know, they'll get some of that. But, you know, Generally, people on our Patreon are just supporting us because they want to support us, which is nice, you know? That is nice. It's a nice couple thousand to pay our rent for the month, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. But, you know, for the past year, I haven't been writing new songs other than for this musical, which has been driving me to not write other songs. But we'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. (laughs) Yeah. That's tight. Okay. So here's the next question. What... Would you, if you could, change about your job or the perception of your job? I would. That's a great question. Brian from I Fight Dragons got me up on this author named Cal Newport, who wrote this book called Digital Minimalism. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of it explores what happens to our brains when we're constantly online and using social media. And like the unplugging from the Internet is not a new concept but I wish there were there was a capacity where like I could have one day a week where it's just paper, pen, like non-digital interaction with the world. But that's that's not really possible because there's a lot of things like small fires that need to be put out constantly through email and texting. And especially when you have a baby, you're yeah. always you got to like be in touch with your partner about what needs to be done regarding the baby's care. So I, I wish I could like one day a week. We could all just go to a cabin in the middle of the woods and just have a chill day where we're just humans instead of humans with a robot with robotic souls. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Teaching robots to love, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what what is one thing about this job that you hope you never have to change? <sighs> I hope that, you know, to deliver something fresh and fun that like when you're recording. It requires you feeling this like childlike joy and spontaneous gratitude for being able to just rap or sing or be surrounded by music. Every time I record a song, I feel that in my heart. And that's required to do it and to subsequently monetize a brand that like is leverages off of that, I guess you could call it magic or joy. I hope that I never lose that like, oh wow, I'm freaking rapping and I'm 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 riding the beat and it sounds dope and I'm saying what I want and it and it's it's different and that always brings me joy and i hope that i never you know don't need to have that joy to do it because i don't want to just punch the clock and just do it because i have to i always want to have that authentic joy and yeah and i think that you need that to be independent for however long 20 years or whatever because otherwise it's not it's not an incredibly lucrative position the way you become 
yeah, the way you become happy is not through the profits, it's through that magic and keeping that, you know? Oh, that's beautiful. You're going to make me cry. I love it. (laughs) Okay, here's my favorite question. What are your favorite tools, books, softwares, or hacks? Okay, let's see. There's There's a great book called How to Rap by Paul Edwards, which is a really good book that looks at how, basically how to rap based on like a musical analysis of the beat. And that's, cool. that's a really good book. I think, okay, so this is controversial and this is probably a whole topic. This could be its own podcast, but like understanding the blockchain and understanding <laughs> that stuff, you know, if you buy, if you put like 10% of your Spotify income into like a stable cryptocurrency in 10 years, you're not probably going to regret that decision unless civilization collapses just because the way the the (laughs) financial markets are going and inflation. I'm just saying like, that's something I've learned about in the past few years that I'm very grateful about. And I'm not endorsing NFTs or anything, but I think knowing about how web 3.0 and decentralized finance and decentralized organization and media is going to affect our industry in 10 years that is helpful. So being fluent, that's a tool. Being fluent in that world as much as you can be, not obsessing over it. And like I said, QuickBooks. <laughs> and you're good. Yeah. Uh, QuickBooks and being friendly. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Okay. This is the last question, Lars. We've gotten to the end of my list. Wow. Um, what final advice would you give to someone wanting to do what you do? Oh, laser. What a question. <laughs> so these are good questions. My final advice, you know, people say, how do you, how do you, how are you able to do this for so long? And the simple answer is just simply by not stopping. It's like, <laughs> they say, how are you married to someone for so long? Or how did you stay together with this person for so long? It's because we didn't separate. Like you figure out a way to make it work. You just don't stop making music and that's how you do it. And it seems kind of simple, like as an answer. And it really is like, if it's something you want to do, You just got to make time. You got to like binge less Netflix on the weekends and just do things like not to, not to, I'm not trying to shame anyone who binge. Sometimes it's cool to binge stuff, but like make sure you set your life up. So you put time into music. If it's something you care about, because the tools are there, the audience is there, the resources are there, the educational podcasts about doing it are there. So (laughs) just, just don't stop and believe in yourself. And that's my only advice. I think it's, it's as simple as that. You know, if you're, if you're not broke and you can pay your bills somehow, even if you have a side gig, mm-hmm. like that's how you get there. Don't, don't, and don't underestimate education and don't underestimate the side hustle. Like there's nothing wrong with being a part-time musician until you become a full-time musician. And there's nothing wrong with doing it just because you love it forever and, and learning these skills so you don't lose a bunch of money making music. That's, that's a success too, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Lars. Great tips. Great tips. Thank you. Before I let you go, I want everybody to know how to contact you. So you, I know you have a Patreon, probably patreon.com slash mclars. That's it. Yes. Thank you for shouting that out. Mm-hmm. And mclars.com. And you know, all the, I'm on all the regular social media platforms. And if you're curious about my LitHop Academy, just check it out. LitHop.academy. I have testimonials and videos and it's really fun to work with with creative people who have dreams of doing something yeah. exciting. So everybody yeah, that... I've met who's done it just seems like the coolest people. So <laughs> if you want to be the coolest people, you should join Lars's Academy. Hey, thank you, Laser. 
Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Lars, and I will see you soon, I hope. Okay, I'll talk to you later. For listening, thank you so much to MC Lars for coming on the podcast. Thank you to Aubrey for editing. Aubrey Turner, shout out. And yeah, if you're interested in hearing more from me, you can always go to lasercampaigns.com. Check out MC Lars at mclars.com. Go see MC Lars on tour at nerdcoretour.com. He's going on the road with MC Front a lot and Mega Ran and Chamber of the Dark Lord. It's going to be amazing. And they're going all over the US. So you should definitely go see them. It is one of the most joyful experiences. And I think you will absolutely love it. Okay, that's it for me. Please remember the things that make you different are what really make you shine. And that I love you. All right, have a good one. Bye.